0: host of the food for thought podcast we're so glad you're here from atypical deep freezes to hurricanes floods and fires natural disasters can have a significant impact on the food and beverage supply chain here to talk about that on this episode of the food for thought podcast is Michael Geert Michael is an insurance recovery attorney and he works with companies to litigate on their behalf against insurance companies He also offers valuable advice to companies on how to plan and prepare for any business interruptions brought about by natural disasters. Join us as we talk about what constitutes a natural disaster, and let me tell you, the answer may surprise you. We talk about different types of policies and coverage as they pertain to food and beverage businesses, as well as how to mitigate the risks associated with operating a business in the event of a disaster. Enjoy the episode.
1: Michael, welcome to the Food for Thought podcast. It is great to have you on today. I want to open this episode and have you tell the audience who you are and what you do.
2: Sure, and thank you thank you for having me. I appreciate, appreciate the opportunity to speak with you today. Uh, so uh, my name is Michael Garrett, and uh, I'm a partner at Passage LLP, uh, which is an insurance recovery law firm. And we have offices in Los Angeles, Manhattan Beach, and New York. And I've been practicing in this area in insurance recovery uh, since I started practicing law uh, right out of law school. And, you know, the short answer for what I do, the elevator pitch, so to speak, uh, is that I litigate against insurers on behalf of policyholders. Um, but that's – that's there's a bit more to it than that. Um, you know, my practice includes, of course, litigating against insurers, but it also uh, includes um, providing advice to insurers. You know, if it's in respect to ongoing claims – uh, if it's with respect to insurance placement or insurance terms, any really insurance-related matters uh, that come up, uh, I view myself as, as a, a strategic partner with my clients um, on, on all of those insurance-related matters. And, and my approach, along with the, the approach shared by my partners, is that my clients' insurance policies uh, are an asset. And, and my job... In a straightforward fashion, is to assist my clients with maximizing the value of that asset. So whether or not that, that's litigation, whether or not it's advice, uh, my goal is to to create a return uh, on that asset and make sure that they're they're getting the full value of, of the asset that they've paid. In many cases, a, a substantial amount for.
1: I know from doing the prep work for this particular episode that you deal in natural disasters, which is something the U.S. has. Definitely dealt with a lot in 2021. If you could, what, by legal definition of how you work with them, is a natural disaster?
2: Yeah, we do we do deal quite a bit uh, with natural disasters, and there have been been quite a few recently. Um, and we've been involved with substantial claims arising out of Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Sandy, um, sinkhole claims, floods in Thailand, just just to name a few. Uh, but there is you know, in my practice, there's no legal definition of a, of a natural disaster. And policies, insurance policies, typically don't use that as a, as a contractual term. Uh, speaking generally, the property policies, which are the types of policies that you'd be looking to in, in many respects for coverage for a natural disaster, uh, including in the food processing industry, uh, they typically are written uh, in two ways. and One is they're either quote-unquote all risks, or their quote unquote named peril. And so as as the name suggests, all risk policies uh, cover everything unless it's clearly and conspicuously excluded. So you start with everything that's covered and then you start carving things away from that coverage through exclusions, which are policy terms that specifically delineate what is and what is not covered. Named peril policies are slightly different. They kind of start from the other end, which is to say here is what is covered, and this is the only things that are covered, for example, wind, fire, flood, hail, they'll list out named perils. And then there will, of course, also be exclusions, but the starting point is what specifically the policy covers as opposed to all risk, which the starting point is everything. So the question for my purposes uh, is not necessarily whether something qualifies as a natural disaster, uh, but whether the specific risk that is causing the loss of the damage is covered by the policy that you're dealing with. Um, so if it's you know, a flood, is it under the all risk policy? Is there an exclusion for flood? Uh, if it's under a named peril policy, is flood one of the named perils that is included? Those are the kinds of questions that I'm asking myself, not necessarily whether or not something qualifies as a natural disaster from a legal standpoint because that's not uh, something that's really captured in the policies.
1: Something that we saw happen earlier this year in Texas was the cold snap happened in February, and it completely upended the supply chain. I know you're talking about you know, with disaster, natural disasters and that there's not a legal textbook definition, but there's got to be ways that you've worked with clients uh, or given advice as well that how do natural disasters impact food manufacturing operations? I guess in what way have, you know, what you're doing, how it's impacted um, how these food processors work?
2: Sure, no, absolutely. And and, and and before addressing those impacts, you mentioned the cold snap uh, in Texas, and, and, and that's a good example of ways in which to maximize an insurance policy as an asset. Uh, many policies explicitly do not cover changes in temperature. That's the language that's used. However, courts have found that the phrase change in temperature is ambiguous uh, because it could apply to either indoor or outdoor changes in temperature. And that's, that's important because when a phrase is ambiguous in an insurance policy, the courts are required to resolve that ambiguity against the insurer and in favor of coverage. So simply you know, receiving a letter that says from an insurance company saying, oh, there's no coverage here because you know, the cold snap is a change in temperature. That's not the whole story. Uh, and so th- that's an important example of, you know, really considering your policies and working with uh, coverage council to make sure that you're getting the most uh, out of those policies. The cold snap in Texas is a good example of that. In terms of impacts, in addition to, to um, the kind of unforeseen event in, in, in Texas, uh, you know, natural disasters Cause a whole variety of impacts to, to uh, the food supply industry, and and you know I'll start with the most basic ones and kind of expand out from there. Uh, a natural disaster, as everybody can anticipate, uh, does cause damage to the facility itself. Uh, you know, if you have a, a plant or a factory, uh, you know, a natural disaster can damage it. That can re- that can require repair and replacement of the factory. Um, and even if the you know, facility itself is not damaged, there may be you know, equipment breakdown that needs to be repaired. So all of that can fall within coverage of a property policy and are typical, the type of typical coverage uh, that a proper po- property policy provides. Now that the damage to the facility and the subsequent repairs can also result in lost profits uh, or what, what is commonly referred to as business interruption. And that too is oftentimes covered by a property policy. So that's, that's kind of the straightforward uh, coverage that is typically provided is, is property coverage and then as well as business interruption coverage. And so, uh, but that's not, that's not the only story when it comes to natural disasters. Uh, you may suffer no damage to uh, your property itself, but still have substantial impacts and substantial losses. So some policies, um, and this is oftentimes an extension, but some policies do provide coverage for the interruption of utility services. So, for example, water and electrical. Uh, Those can be a significant issue, as you might imagine, during natural disasters, specifically in the food supply uh, industry. uh, The failure of, or the interruption of electrical service can cause the breakdown of refrigeration services or the the inability to use refrigeration services, which can result in spoilage or contamination. So, that type of interruption coverage, uh, you know, may be be significant uh, in in this industry specifically. In addition to utility service interruption, there's also supply chain disruption. You mentioned that with respect to the cold snap in, in Texas. Uh, but supply chain disruption is significant when it comes to natural disasters, and in my experience, is is typically overlooked. Um, policies provide what what is called contingent time element coverage. And what that means is it covers an insured loss, it's financial loss, as a result of damage to a supplier's or a customer's location. So the insurer, the insurer itself has suffered no damage, but its supplier is hit, for example, with a hurricane or a flood or a windstorm, what have you, and that causes a ripple effect in the supply chain that results in financial losses to the insurer, even though it has suffered no damage itself. And that, that, those Supplier locations or customer locations can include a service provider, as well as, you know, an actual supplier of, of raw materials. And the way this coverage works is that, you know, a, a natural disaster can hit a specific location, but result in covered loss to ensure that it's halfway across the world. So it's important for insureds to understand this coverage if they have it and to be cognizant of it so that they don't attribute a supply chain loss to just, do, just a cost of doing business, that it's just an increased cost because of things that are happening around the world. It very may very well be an insured loss uh, under the contingent time element coverage. So that, that's, a, that's a significant issue and, and, and one that we, we deal with and advise clients on regularly. Now in addition to the supply chain, Natural disasters can also result in damages to roads and railways, which, as you imagine, would have a domino effect throughout the food supply chain. Uh, you know, foods and ingredients can take longer than they should in transport as a result of a natural disaster, which again, increases the chance of spoilage or contamination, and there is coverage for uh, specific spoilage coverage that can be purchased in the marketplace to, to address that, that risk. Natural disasters can also cause infrastructure damages. Uh, you know there could be damage to refrigerated storage facilities, which obviously can uh, result in, in, in impacts in, in terms of spoilage uh, and increased risk of contamination. Uh, so, so all of these impacts um, are important to consider. Uh, they're not just the direct impact of the natural disaster, but the ripple effects down the road, and they all can be. Uh, can fit within certain policy terms if they're purchased uh, and if the if the insured has has that specific type of coverage.
1: Are there ways for food processors to mitigate the risks associated with a natural disaster? Yeah, mitigating against uh, natural disasters
2: <laughs> certainly certainly isn't easy, uh, particularly given the scope of them, the increased prevalence of them recently. Um, however, there are loss prevention measures that that. Um, insurance in the food supply chain or in the food industry can 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 take uh, when a natural disaster is approaching um, in the case of hurricanes you know there are the usual precautions when it comes to buildings in terms of sandbags and, and windows and all of that uh, speaking to the food uh, supply chain specifically you know in the past uh, swine and, and poultry producers have moved animals out of the area um, in an attempt to reduce potential loss. So there are things ahead of time that can be done to, to mitigate against uh, the risk of, of, a, of a greater loss. And the insurance policies typically do have a provision that will provide coverage for the expense that it takes to do that. Uh, essentially recognizing that the uh, efforts that the insured is making to reduce loss uh, redound to the insurer's benefit uh, because it reduces the potential insurance claim. And so those kinds of efforts uh, are, are covered under most uh, insurance policies. And in terms of the supply chain, you can, you can mitigate, take some steps to mitigate your supply chain as well. Um, there I think it's important to understand your supply chain. Uh, they're very complex these days, it's not a just a straight line, uh, and have alternative sources for critical suppliers. Um, so that if there is a natural disaster, say a hurricane in one area of the country, uh, you can then source your critical supplies from another area, and 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 therefore reduce or again mitigate your supply chain risk. And if the cost, oftentimes, if their cost is greater due to limited supply, for example, you know if, if a hurricane impacts one industry, but there's are still you know, a portion of the industry remaining functioning in another area. Now the supply is lower, costs is greater. Uh, that extra expense that you incur, it still uh, can be covered by your property insurance policy. And so, uh, again, understanding your supply chain and 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 having alternative sources for critical supplies can be critical in reducing a, a potential loss. And you know, I think some other some other areas. Uh, because in the food supply chain, because of the increased risk of contamination following a natural disaster, uh, you know, it's important to identify, um, it's important for a food processor to know where their ingredients uh, arrive from uh, and when they arrived, um, so that you can isolate products in the event there is a necessary recall uh, due to issues arising from a natural disaster. You can easily identify which products are, are, are susceptible to that. And, and continue your operations as as normally as possible. So that, that's another smaller piece of, of, of advice in terms of mitigation. And, and finally, I, I think uh, insurers should also be prepared to prove losses ahead of time. Um, so this involves really an assessment of how and where your financial information is stored uh, you know, in the event of a natural disaster, do you have backups or, or records in the cloud that can be accessed from another location in the event that your facility is substantially damaged? So it's really preparing ahead of time so that you can maximize coverage under your policy uh, and therefore mitigate your loss uh, by being by being prepared uh, before a natural disaster hits. So those are the I think some of the key areas that I would think about in, in terms of mitigating.
1: For those processors that have dealt with some of these disasters, what course of action should they follow, especially as it relates to their insurance and loss? Yeah, so the, the,
2: the first step, um, the first course of action is to assess and, and document the loss. Uh, and you know, this is easier said than done uh, because oftentimes insurance is the last thing on anyone's mind during a natural disaster, and for good reason, I mean, the safety of employees, the safety of, uh, of, of your people is important. Um, but it's important before a natural disaster happens to kind of keep in mind what you're gonna need to do, what you're gonna need to prove in terms of your loss. And so photographs and records reflecting the damage and losses, uh, they, they can prove invaluable in a subsequent insurance claim. So it, it's, it's critical to have a process and a team in place before a natural disaster strikes, so you know exactly who's going to do what, who's gonna collect what, who's gonna maintain what uh, for purposes of, of, of a claim down down the road. And and part of the assessment of that loss, and, and this is something people don't often think about, part of the assessment should include whether or not operations can be partially resumed or fully resumed at, at a different location to the extent there are different locations. And these, these possibilities have to be considered because the failure to do so, the failure to uh, consider whether your operations can be partially resumed or, or or can be transferred can be used against an insured by an insurer during the adjustment of the business interruption claim. So it's important to think about those things ahead of time and, and make those assessments uh, early on. And of course, you know the, the, the logical next step is to review your insurance policy and notify the insurer of the loss and in this process, um, it's helpful to involve an insurance recovery attorney uh, in order to navigate the various coverages that are provided by the policy and the various exclusions in, a, in, in the policy. And it, it might sound simple, but you know many property insurance policies have five to ten different types of coverage or or extensions of coverage, and in terms of exclusions, anywhere from you know a small amount or a handful, of ten to twenty. Uh, different exclusions, all with different limits or different sub-limits for various coverages, some based on timing, some based on amount. So it's important to navigate all that up front uh, so you know exactly what is covered by your policy and, and how to present that to the insurance company. It's also helpful at this stage, uh, given depending on the scope of the loss or the amount of the loss, but it's helpful to retain a forensic accountant. So that they can present the financial loss, at least the business interruption side loss, to the insurer in an organized and coherent manner. Uh, oftentimes, the claim preparation costs are covered by the policy. So the the cost of the forensic account to put together the claim, package it, calculate it, present it in table format with you know, supporting documentation, uh, all of that is uh, can be reimbursed by the insurer if they accept coverage. So. The earlier, the better in terms of involvement. And I know that sounds potentially self-serving, but I'm always happy when a client contacts us early because then we can provide, uh, even if it's very limited guidance, but the limited advice in the in, in the beginning steps to make sure that the claim is presented appropriately and the policy terms are complied with. So that's 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 how I would I would view the the kind of initial course of action following following a natural disaster.
1: Well, follow-up to that, can you outline the process for proving and calculating business interruption claims?
2: I, I can. The process is is straightforward in theory, uh, but can get certainly complicated in, in the details. And and first I would note, it's, it's important to satisfy the insurer's requirements in terms of the, the initial claim submission and how you present the claim. So. Uh, if the insurer has a specific claim form that they use, it's it's good to use that form. Um, if they're going to require you know certain reports or certain types of proof uh, from the insured, then you know it's good to know that up front. Uh, so so we always recommend a, an open line of communication uh, with the insurer so that there are no uh, misunderstandings down the road to avoid headaches down the road uh, so that all of the information is presented appropriately. And there there are a variety of ways to prove uh, and calculate a business interruption loss uh, depending on um, the insurer, the insurance business. Uh, You can look to, the most generic way is to look to prior sales uh, and look to prior years and say, you know, you would have done X uh, in this year based on on your your prior history uh, if it weren't for the natural disaster. So that's a fairly straightforward and, and rudimentary way of doing it. You can also look to the, uh, performance of comparable businesses uh, to see kind of where they where, what they did without the natural disaster, as opposed to to what what the insured did uh, after the natural disaster. And you can also look to financial projections. Uh, so if the insured did did financial projections uh, prior to the natural disaster, they didn't know what was going to happen, but they projected certain profits and certain business. Uh, you can use those as a basis. Um, to, to determine what would have happened if not for the natural disaster. So that all you know, makes, I, I think, fairly straight, fairly makes sense, but, and, and it's fairly straightforward, but it gets complicated in a number of ways. One is, uh, what if the business, or even just the business segment uh, that suffered the loss is new? In that case, you don't have a past history to look to uh, to, to calculate the loss, so you're really doing it based on a hypothetical um, and, and that that can that can create uh, uh, ambiguities or or uncertainty with respect to to the amount of the loss uh, if the company is is was unprofitable prior to the loss, uh, then it can be difficult to to establish a loss going forward now that unprofitability might have nothing to do with the company's performance it may be that there's a business cycle that you have to factor in that you know, if you look at the first the three months prior to the natural disaster, we're always unprofitable during that time. But our business cycle is we have substantial sales during the next two months, and that's what would have happened if not for the natural disaster. You can explain you can explain it that way. So the the other way uh, that that I've seen is that if a company was planning to expand or it just landed. Uh, a new customer that would substantially it would result in substantial profits that it had not otherwise experienced. Uh, the loss should account for that, but the prior year performance won't. So you have to factor that in and substantiate that to the insurer in order to to capture that that aspect of the loss. So all of these issues, uh, you know, new company uh, or or you know, poor performance in the, in, the, in the immediate time prior to the loss or, or new. Uh, expansion or or new customers that all requires factual development and they benefit from the involvement again of a coverage attorney and a forensic accountant to make sure that the loss is properly calculated and that to make sure which is the the ultimate goal uh, to make sure that the insured receives the full coverage uh, provided by their policy
1: whether in hindsight or foresight Are there things processors can do or be thinking about in terms of their insurance coverage?
2: Yeah, yeah. In terms of things to think about, I don't want to to inundate you, but but I would would highlight some of the the basics in terms of the insurance policy. I mean, one of the foundational questions would be: Do you have business interruption insurance? If you don't, probably a good idea to get some, uh, because natural disasters result in substantial losses that are independent of the damage to the the structure itself. And and, and oftentimes far exceed uh, the cost to to repair the the facility or the physical damage itself. And if you do have business interruption coverage, how much coverage do you have? And more importantly, is that amount sufficient uh, for your operations? Oftentimes I find insurers simply carry over their limits uh, from year to year and don't really assess how their business has changed. Are they expanded or, or contracted? Uh, in, in the various years. So, um, you know, notably, I mean, if a business has expanded, then the policy may not provide the necessary coverage um, to weather a natural disaster. So even if the insurance company fully um, accepts coverage, there's still a shortfall because the company hasn't reassessed uh, its needs, its insurance needs along the way. So that's, that's, a, that's an important component things that, that oftentimes uh, insurance overlook. And then lastly, on the insurance policy itself, is, is do you have the right kind of coverage? You know, I mentioned earlier utility coverage and, and contingent time element coverage that, that protect against supply chain risk. Uh, those, are, those are extensions of coverage uh, that insurers should consider purchasing uh, if they're exposed to those risks. Um, and also, some insurers provide you know, specialized policies for specific industries. And so that may be something worth exploring uh, with a broker as well. Uh, to get to get unique coverage uh, for for the food processing industry. And and finally, I mentioned this earlier, touched on it earlier, is, is plan for a business interruption claim in advance. Don't do it in, in hindsight. So I mentioned you need to have a team that would be responsible for the company's response, uh, both to the natural disaster itself, um, but also responsible for the subsequent insurance claim. Uh, and I mentioned maintain proof of your expenses and losses, Maintain it in secure location. Uh, and this doesn't just include you know, uh, receipts for expenses, although that's important, uh, but company contracts, uh, supplier contracts, uh, customer contracts, the expense reports, financial projections. I mentioned those are a basis to, to substantiate a business interruption claim. So keep those. Prior financial records to show the history of past performance, uh, which also supports a business interruption claim. So all of that's gonna need to be assessed following a natural disaster. So it's important to have that process in place, those those secure uh, uh, locations in place, so that it reduces the headaches down the road, especially when you're in the midst of not only uh, submitting a business interruption claim, but let's not forget, responding to a natural disaster. Uh, So uh, the, the more you can focus your business on that, the better. Uh, and the smoother your business interruption claim uh, will ultimately be. Do you
1: have any examples of recent business interruption cases that you can share? Um, share some of their outcomes. I realize it might be a big ask on if you're able to share. <laughs> I don't know if you are. No, I can. I, I can share. Um, I can share one. Uh, there was
2: uh, I represented a client who uh, was in the electronic um, industry, and their one of their products required hard drives. Uh, to be installed. And uh, they worked where there was, at the the time, the majority of the world's hard drives were manufactured in Thailand, and Thailand suffered substantial uh, floods. Uh, And so there was an increased cost in obtaining an increased difficulty in obtaining hard drives uh, for a period of time. Now, obviously, my my client was not located in Thailand. My my client was located here in the United States, uh, but the increased cost was substantial, and they needed to incur that increased cost to continue continue their business. And so the policy had, as I mentioned before, this contingent time element coverage, which is essentially against supply chain coverage uh, for for physical loss or damage to locations of your suppliers. But in this case, uh, it required that the supplier be a quote-unquote direct supplier. And so the question at issue in this case was whether or not this hard drive uh, manufacturer was a direct supplier. And the insurance company took the position that no, they were not because the hard drives were not shipped directly to my client. They were sent to a assembler, a third-party assembler that would put the product together and then then provide it to my client. Um, And we argued that although it wasn't physically shipped directly to my client, that in the electronic supply chain industry, uh, the term direct supplier would be understood to encompass this scenario where my client had substantial uh, input and control over the product, uh, and and had you know input on this on the design and the, the specifics uh, of the product, and that in this industry, um, the the hard drive manufacturer would be considered a quote unquote direct supplier, or at the very least, if that's a reasonable interpretation, and that the insurance company uh, is obligated to or is assumed to know that industry usage. And that, that argument went all the way up to the Ninth Circuit and we ultimately prevailed uh, in the Ninth Circuit on that argument and, and, then, and, and subsequently resolved the claim. So uh, you know, it highlights some of the very specific factual issues and the need to, to uh, consult with a coverage attorney on these issues because it's not always cut and dry and oftentimes, uh, insurers will deny coverage on what appears to be, at least to, to a layman, appears to be you know a, a legitimate ground. But when you look at the specific policy language, when you look at how those terms are used in the industry, then um, the uh, insurer's position becomes uh, less reasonable and less less tenable. So. Um, I use that as a, as a common example, particularly in this area, of, of a contingent time element loss that is, that is covered.
1: If a p- food processor wanted to get in touch with you, and let's say they wanted to um, talk to you, consult, maybe hire you, how could they get in contact with you? Sure.
2: Uh, they could uh, email me at um, M-G-E-H-R-T at passage llp.com, P-A-S-I-C-H-L-L-P.com. or they you know simply pick up the phone uh, and call me four two four three one three seven eight five five, and I would I would note that that you know an in initial uh, analysis I typically do those free of charge I take a look let people know if there's an issue to be to be dealt with um, you know I, my my goal in every representation is to create value so. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, put good money after bad, and I, I regularly tell clients um, if, if that's the case. Uh, but if it isn't, if there's something to push on, if there's if there's a reason to push back, then then you know I certainly provide that as well. So um, happy to happy to chat uh, whenever uh, any on any insurance related issues.
1: Fantastic. Well, Michael, thank you for spending time with me this afternoon to talk about this important topic that. I feel like we don't cover enough or that not enough people know about. So really appreciate you taking the time and walking through. It felt thorough to me. I bet we barely even touched the surface of <laughs> um, of, of what there is. So thank you so much for being on the Food for Thought podcast today.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: listening to the Food for Thought podcast today. Thank you for tuning in. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about everywhere you can listen to a podcast. Be sure to tune in next time as we talk more about the stories behind the headlines of the food and beverage industry. Take care. Have a great day.